The Edge of the World Art Studio is proud to present Helen of the Iron Horse, written by Paris Danielle Lee. Artwork by Helen Rachel Lee. Music by Fish Zombie the Onions. And special thanks to Spooky the Cat for her contributions, fuzzy as they might be. Chapter 79 Dear Arcadia, 1883, February, Denver, Colorado. A week before Paris fought the Denver City boxing champion, Thalia wrote this letter. My dearest Arcadia, I've missed you, and it seems like it's been forever since we've spoken. I miss our night staying up talking. One of these days, I'm going to take a night off and come spend it with you instead. As you know, I'm living with the Whiskey Girl now. We're staying at the Walker Farm with the rest of the Amazons. It's kind of strange to be out of the brothel for the first time since I moved there. It doesn't yet feel like home. The brothel is still my home, and there in its baths is the only place I can really relax. Maybe it's because it feels like I never stop working anymore. Let me explain. Working outside the brothel is not the same as working within it. I no longer just wait for clients to come to me. Now I have to go to them. Naomi sets them up for me. She carefully chooses them and vets them. They're mostly regulars and trusted return customers that Naomi has known for a while. Although on occasion I'm sent to meet someone new. I was with someone new just recently. I met up with her at the library. Naomi likes to send me to a neutral location to have a conversation with them first. If I find them creepy or off-putting, she never seems to mind if I just call it off and back out of the new client. So, I have final approval. I would never attempt to walk away from an old client. I don't know what Naomi would do. Probably just be disappointed in me. But somehow I fear that more than the thought of her hitting me. My new client's name is Emma. She's the wife of a merchant and seems fairly well off. As a housewife, it's her duty to take care of the running of her house when her husband is away on business. But she has servants and maids, and none of this work is really done by her. So she fills her leisure time with artistic pursuits. She's a painter. She transformed an old greenhouse in back of her estate into a painting studio. She said to get just the right light, she sprinkled water on the windows every day for a month, letting them dry without cleaning them. This gave them sort of a white haze that lit in some of the light, but softened it so it seemed to come from everywhere. It also had the added benefit of not letting anyone see through it. At the center of her studio is a small platform. On the platform is a chair, simple and sparse, only a thin cushion on its seat. Otherwise, the legs, the arms, and the back were made with slim, straight lines. That is where I pose for her. She pays Naomi directly for my time, but she never asks for sex, not that I haven't offered it. She does tip me a dollar a session if I could stay still and quiet. It's not easy. You would be surprised. Sometimes doing nothing is more difficult than doing everything. Holding a pose, even one that seems comfortable to begin with, for more than an hour is painful. Honestly, it would just be easier to have sex with her. I think that's why she pays me on top of what she's already paid Naomi. She gives me small breaks, but then sets me back in the chair, looks at her work, and then carefully positions me back to where I was before. Afterwards, she lets me look at the paintings and drawings she's done. The greenhouse is beginning to fill with pictures of me. We have done two sessions so far, and I have another one scheduled for tomorrow. She's very talented. Yesterday, 
I offered to buy one of the sketches I especially liked, basically trying to give her back the dollar she had just given me. She gave me the sketch and refused the money. I plan to include that sketch with this letter. Isn't it amazing? When she's done with her painting of me, maybe I'll talk her into painting you. I think you'd make a beautiful subject, and I would cherish a picture of you. After she gave me the sketch, I was so happy I hugged her and kissed her on the lips without even thinking. She turned so red. She stumbled over herself and tried to hide her nervousness by shuffling her paintbrushes around. She was so adorable, I almost laughed out loud. But I don't want to embarrass her further. I apologized. And she said not to worry about it. I'm certain now it's only a matter of time until one of these days I have her naked in that chair on that platform. She has shown me she is a master of her craft. I will show her that I am a master of mine. There was an incident at the farm a few days ago. I don't know if you know, but the Amazon is run by Celia, and those of us who don't have places of our own are all living at Alone's farm. What started out as a handful of girls has now grown into a small unit. There are girls filling the rooms that once housed the migrant farm workers, plus every room in the farmhouse, and one of the storage barns is being cleared out and converted into apartments. A new bath is being built to accommodate all of the women. I have no idea how much Celia is spending on this. Her coffers seem only to keep growing somehow. It's amazing how that woman can organize. I asked her once how she does it, and she said, Women are underestimated in this world. Each of them has a talent beyond what anyone would suspect. Find that talent. Let them show it off. Trust them to get their jobs done. What if they fail? I asked her. Then deal with that afterwards. But don't assume they will. Support them, and make sure they have what they need to succeed. The job of a queen is not to rule, but to serve. If I can give them what they need, I can trust them not to fail me. The farm had a mortgage on it. A loan left over by Thomas that Alone had to pay on her own since the money was squandered by her dirtbag ex-husband. On the first of every month, she would go to the bank in person and pay in cash $15 to the bank for that month's payment. She said in the past a lot of times she's barely made it, but she's never missed a due date. And the loan was in good standing, at least that's what she thought. When she came to the bank to pay for the month on the first... The clerk refused the money and asked her to wait for the bank manager. Eloni was called into his office and sat down. She was told the bank was calling in the loan. The entire sum remaining would need to be paid $1,260 by the end of the week, Friday at 5 p.m. That gave her one day or they would foreclose on the farm. Eloni panicked. I still have time. The agreement was $15 a month. She told them. They told her. The loan has been made to your late husband, and now that he has passed, the bank cannot extend it to you because it's against bank policy to lend money to a woman. Thomas isn't dead. He's visiting family in St. Louis. Whether he is dead or you are separated, either way he is out of the picture, and we still cannot extend the loan to you. The risk is too great. What risk? Thomas never arranged or made any move to pay this loan. Every payment has been made on time and has been made by me. The money brought in was my making. And besides, the farm was not his to mortgage. It was mine. You should have never lent money to a man with no assets. Under the rule of law, your property became his property when you married him. 
He has every right to use it as collateral for this loan. And I have every right to keep it as collateral to continue to pay this loan. I'm sorry, but without Thomas in the picture, the bank does not loan money to a person they feel has no ability to pay it back. I have proven that I can pay it back. I have been paying it back. There is nothing I can do. This is just bank policy. Produce either $1,260 or Thomas by the end of business tomorrow or vacate the premises. You know very well it would be impossible to get Thomas here by tomorrow. Even if I wired him immediately, it would take a day for that wire to get to him, and then half a day on the train coming back to Denver. Even if he left at this moment, there is no train in this country that's going to be able to make that distance in 24 hours. I am almost tempted to give you another week just to hear you lie some more about why you can't produce him. Your commitment to this ruse is admirable, but there isn't anyone in this town that believes Thomas is still alive. Your husband is dead, madam. The only question I have is, did you have the guts to kill him yourself, or did you leave it to that little assassin you call the Whiskey Girl? Sir, you are a monster, festering and weak. You will be hearing from my lawyer. She turned to leave, but before she could, Florence opened the doors to the office walked in, and sat down. She looked at Ohlone and told her to sit down as well. Mrs. Cook, the bank manager said. I'm sorry, I didn't know you were coming. I'm finishing up with a client at the moment. Would you be so kind as to wait one minute? Miss Walker was just leaving. Florence looked at Ohlone, telling her not to move. So she sat still. Then she looked at the bank manager. It's Mistress Cook. Get it right. And I want Ohlone to be here for this. How can I help you, Mistress Cook? The man asked, sweating as he sat down in his chair. I wish to take out a loan. There is no reason I can't arrange that. And why is that? Why is it fine if you lend me money, but not her? I'm sorry. I was not aware you were privy to our conversation. But if you insist, you have assets in excess already housed in this bank. You have landed property far exceeding that amount in value. There are no loans currently out on those properties and no liens on your account. You're in good standing, and the bank would have no problem extending credit on those funds. But I'm a woman. I thought it was against bank policy. You would be acting as an agent for your husband. Hmm, I see. Can I assign a different agent? I'm a busy woman, and I cannot come by faithfully, but I have employees who can handle these things for me. Can I assign one of them to come by and pay this debt for me, as it needs to be paid? That can be arranged, yes. Good. Then I wish to draft a loan for $1,260. I would like that to be paid in increments of $15 a month until the debt is finished. Very well. I will draw up the papers. They will be ready on Monday. If you come back then, we will extend credit directly to your account. <laughs> nice try. Go do it now. These things take time, mistress. I will not accept your pathetic excuses. You know that I am dining this afternoon with Mistress Castle? You know, the wife of the man who owns this bank? She's a fascinating woman, and we're such good friends. I've been talking to her about the weasley little man who runs her bank. She's such a lovely woman. I think there isn't anything I wouldn't do for that woman. Florence leaned over to Alone and whispered in her ear, I don't think there's anything I haven't done to that woman. Alone smiled but tried not to laugh. 
I wonder if she feels the same for me. She continued talking to the bank manager. I shall have to test this. I will ask her for your head on a stick. She'll probably try and talk me down to just taking your job, but I'm confident we will come to some sort of compromise that suits us both falling somewhere between the two. Now, go to the vault. Bring me one thousand, two hundred, and sixty dollars. And you may just save your job and other parts of your anatomy. You may take the money from my private account. On Monday, I will come to finish the loan. I am assigning my dear sweet friend Alone here as my agent. She will pay the debt for me every month. Is that clear? That is clear. The bank manager sat deflated in his chair. Go! Florence demanded, like the crack of a whip. The bank manager bolted from his chair and hurried through the doors of his office. She turned to Alone and asked, How are you doing, dear? Better now, thanks to you. How did you know? <laughs> we'll discuss that later with Celia. But for now, try to calm down. I'll take care of this for you. It's going to be okay. Thank you. I can never repay you for this. I'm not giving you anything. I'm just ensuring the bank extends you that loan. You'll still have to pay it. Though, you'll probably get away with making the first month's payment next month. So, you could put your wallet away. Florence smiled and Alone giggled. The bank manager returned. He had an envelope and a ledger. Mistress Cook, if you would sign here. He handed Florence a pen. She stood and signed it with a flourish. Then he handed her the envelope. Is this everything in full? She asked. It is, he answered. She handed the envelope to Alone. I think you know what to do with that. I do. Elone smiled and handed the envelope back to the bank manager. I believe this will pay my loan in full. Yes, but it will take a day to process the paperwork. Please return tomorrow to sign it. Not a chance, Weasel. Go get it now. Florence commanded and snapped her fingers. The bank manager began to move on the snap. Stop. Is the bank holding the farm's deed? Yes. He answered, head bowed, not looking at her. Then be sure to bring that, too. If I have to send you out of this office one more time, you will be punished. Is that clear? Yes, mistress. The man said, but didn't move. Go! Florence commanded, and he ran. How did you do that? Elone asked. Oh, it doesn't work on everyone. Just those people who want it. That man is a clerk in the service of this bank. He has worked all his life trying to please his superiors. It is against his nature to say no, even to you. So, to attempt what he did, he must have had orders to do so. He just needs someone stronger to order him otherwise, and he'll hop like a bunny. He wants approval. He wants to do a good job. So, he will do anything he is commanded to, as long as he hasn't been previously commanded not to. You have no idea the things I could make that man do. Would you like to learn how to do it for yourself? Yes, please. Good. I will arrange for us to have dinner tomorrow night. And do bring your wife with you. Oh, you heard. Alone blushed. Yes. How is your bride doing? Oh, we're so happy. I wish I could have known. I would have stayed to celebrate with you. 
I do love to see two people find something real. So very few things we do in life are truly real. Mostly, there are plays we put on, airs we hold up. Each of us has been assigned our character by some unseen playwright, and we must play out the drama that we've been handed or fear being shunned by society. It makes me happy to see that narrative broken. It gives me such hope. Help for what? <laughs> that, my girl, is a secret. The manager returned with a new ledger and paperwork. I expect this transaction to be completed without you saying another word. Speak again in our presence, and I will see that you are caned. Is that clear? Florence said in a crisp, commanding voice. The bank manager said nothing as Florence waited for an answer. He just continued to work at his desk on the paperwork. Good boy. I see that you can be taught. She smiled, then winked at Alone, who giggled. The bank manager finished writing, then, taking the letter, he brought it to Alone, and handed it to her along with a pen. He pointed to where she needed to sign it, saying nothing. She signed where he pointed, and then he took a stamp and stamped the document paid. He handed it back to her. He then handed her an envelope. She looked inside to see the deed to the farm. She held it close to her heart and smiled with a tear in her eye. Florence held out her arm for Alone. Come, my dear. We need to speak with Celia. You'll ride with me in my carriage? They then rode back to the Amazon. They had to send Cassandra back on her own so they could share the carriage, but Cassandra didn't seem to mind. Have you met Cassandra? She's becoming one of my favorite among the girls. And not just because she's a smaller, younger version of my gunslinger. Because she has a heart of pure charity. I don't think anyone realizes how much she really does for everyone. She's our chauffeur, our bodyguard, and our gopher. She's just always there when you need her. I don't know how she does it. For instance, she takes me into town most mornings. But then, most evenings when I'm ready to go home, she's just there where I need her to be, waiting for me. She doesn't ask where I'll be. She doesn't ask whether I need her or not. I will just be picked up later, and she's there. It's also these little things she does. Like, okay, I was eating breakfast with her. We were talking and laughing, and for no reason that I could determine, in the middle of our conversation, she reaches down and takes a hunting knife out of her boot. And then a minute later, Mary came into the kitchen from the back room. She was struggling with a package that had been wrapped for the post a little too well. Mary picked up Cassandra's knife, used it to open the package, and then handed it back to her. Cassandra slipped it back into her boot. Then, a few minutes later, Cassandra looked up, scratched her head, went to the back door, opened it, and then sat back down, leaving the door open for no reason. It wasn't long until Alice came through the door holding a crate full of bottles. Her hands were both full, and if the door had been shut, she would have had to set the bottles down, but because the door was open, she just walked through it. She didn't realize the door hadn't been open until just then. She had no idea that Cassandra had opened it for her, somehow anticipating her arrival. I think sometimes I'm the only one who sees these things. I was with Naomi one day, and I overheard Cassandra telling Felicia all about how fighting was really about dancing in a way, that all the footwork was practiced and choreographed, tiny little dances that the mind remembers so that it can act quicker by reflex instead of by thought. She went on and on about dancing and the similarities dancing had to boxing. 
The next day during the planning stages, trying to decide what our next event would be, Florence suggests a dance. I don't think anyone realized or even made the connection that there is a possibility that it was not Florence's idea. It was Cassandra's, placed there the day before it was needed. It's kind of spooky when you think about it. Celia said, it's not the job of a queen to rule. It's the job of a queen to serve. The job is to make sure everyone has what they need to do the jobs they've been asked to do. And as I watch Cassandra secretly supporting everyone, it makes me wonder who's really in charge of the Amazons. Now, don't think badly of Cassandra. I think you'd really like her. Her? She's more like the whiskey girl, or Luke, than she's ready to admit right now. She's a lot more like you than she's ready to admit right now. Her aversion to feminine clothing, her insistence to be allowed to do the heavier work and the more masculine duties. I think she holds on to the feminine because the whiskey girl does. She admires her so much. I think if she had known Luke, then she may not have wanted to be a she. If Cassandra had chosen to be a he, like Luke did, I think he would be far happier. I hope someday they will find who they really are. I hope someday that you can help them with that. <laughs> have I ever told you about Narcissus? He's actually been around for a while, so you may have heard this story, or at least a version of it. But I have inherited him from Naomi, who no longer wants to take care of him herself anymore. She says, it just got creepy. I don't have any problem with it. It only makes me laugh after, and later I want to tell someone the story, but... It's very unprofessional to share stuff like this about clients. You never know where the gossip will go, so you have to be very careful about who you talk with about these things. I know you'll never tell a soul, and it's good for you to hear in case someday you want to join us. You need to understand some of the things you can expect to do. Honestly, I think of everyone who has taken this job, you might be one of his favorites if you ever decide to do it. Okay, so Narcissus. Now, that's not his name. I have no idea what his name is, but that's what Naomi called him. Apparently, she doesn't know either. What happens is this. We have a date set up, and I bathe thoroughly first. I don't put on any perfume after making sure my body is stripped clean of anything that would smell like flowers or roses or the stuff I would normally wear. I'm allowed to wear a little makeup, but only a little and only on my face. Then, I wait at a designated spot and a chauffeur in a fine carriage will show up. I recognize him because I've seen him before. The first time I did it, Naomi's waiting with me to make sure I got the right guy. I get into the carriage, and we never speak. He drives me out to this mansion. I get out, I use the servant's entrance, and go up to the master bedroom. On the bed, laid out for me, are some men's clothing. Not just men's clothing, but an exact copy of what Narcissus will be wearing later. I put the clothing on. I splash on cologne that has been left for me, the exact same cologne that he'll be wearing later. I pull the pants down, letting them bunch around my ankles, and I lay face down on the bed with my legs over the edge so my butt is naked and exposed, all while facing an enormous mirror. I don't get to see what happens from here on very well, but through the corners of my vision and with the reflection in the many mirrors in the room, I watch as he comes in. He brushes his hair, he puts on more cologne, he unbuttons his shirt, rubs his own chest, and stares at himself in the mirror. And then, when he seems to have gotten himself good and worked up, he unzips his pants and enters me from behind. 
always using the back door, as it were. As he's pleasuring himself, with me dressed as him, he stares at himself in the mirror, across from us. Once he's finished, he goes back to comb his hair, reset his clothing, puts on more cologne, and then leaves, saying nothing. After that, I can get up, dress back in my own clothing, go back through the servants' quarters, and the carriage is waiting for me. It takes me back to the brothel so I can shower, and that's it. Naomi said it was easy for a while, but it just got too weird for her. I think it's hilarious. The man wants to make love to himself. Why not? There's worse people to be in love with, right? At least he'll never have to worry about divorce. But like I said, I never really stop working anymore. Because when the day is over, there's always one more job left. The whiskey girl. I have to be honest with you, because I trust you to keep my secrets, and I could be honest with no one else. It started as a job. Naomi assigned her to me because she and Celia wanted to find a way to help the whiskey girl forget about Pollyanna. And she was cute, and she seemed nice, so I took the job. But she wasn't the same as the others. She didn't want sex. She wanted love. But love wasn't real to me. To me, love is a word I use to tempt people. It's the bait on my hook. It's the promise of what will never be fulfilled. Always just out of reach. Always there if you give me one more dollar. But there was no getting around the whiskey girl. She could smell it if it was fake. She would dodge any punch that wasn't true. So, for the first time, I think in my career, I failed to seduce my target. I was given a task, and I failed it. <sighs> then I spoke to Lady Venus, and she explained to me what Anna was really looking for. And I found out something about me. I found out what I was looking for as well. <laughs> I found love. It was small, like a muscle that had not been exercised. But it was true, and it was real. Love for a girl that was so lost, she would walk away from her family, her life, as I had. She set herself adrift, searching for something she could call her own, like I did. So I took my gift, the one thing I had that was real, and I completed my assignment. I finished the job by giving it to her. It worked. She bought it. I hooked her, and she was mine. It took her about two weeks to realize I had moved in with her. I told her that I wasn't charging her. I was afraid to tell her I was taking that payment out in different ways. I didn't hide it from her, but sometimes all it took was the smallest excuse for her not to question it. She loved me, and in loving me, she believed me, and then believing me, I feel like sometimes I betrayed her. I traded my love to finish the job, to make her fall in love with me so that I could use her for her money, and her status among the Amazons, and her food, and her bed. I took these things from her and gave her sex in return. But every night she gave me love. She asks me how my day went. She looks me in the eye and she touches me on the cheek. She helps me undress. She makes sure I've eaten. She kisses me. She holds me. And then when she cannot take it anymore, she takes me. We have made love so many times in that bed. And every time we do it, it needs to be real or she'll know. I know she'll know. So I take out that little piece of me, I hold it tight, and I give it to her. And she gives it back to me. But now, somehow, it's a little bigger. She adds to it. 
She pushes it back into me again and again. Night after night, it grows. She asked me to marry her. Well, luckily, she asked me what I would say if she asked me to marry her. That's a small difference. And that small difference was all I had to hold on to myself for one more day. If she asked me to marry her outright, then and there, I would have said yes. I don't even know what that would have meant. We're already living together. We're not planning to split up. What would change? In a way, aren't we already married? I didn't tell her no. I told her to ask me again later. I'm afraid. I'm afraid she's going to ask me to stop working for Naomi. I know it hurts her. I know taking the jobs I need to take is causing her pain, and I'm afraid that's what marriage means to her, that I would stop being a prostitute. But if I did, what would I be? What else could I do? That's what I'm good at. This is all I've known. She once asked me what my life would cost. What would it cost to buy me for the rest of my life? The whole lot. I told her everything she would ever make for the rest of her life, and every minute she has to spare. I returned to her yesterday after the day was done. I walked in, and she was hanging up her guns in the wardrobe. As a test, I asked her if I could have five dollars. She told me the money was in the saddlebags, and I can take whatever I like. Then, she said she was going to arrange some sort of dinner for us, and she'd be back when it was ready. She left me in the room. Her saddlebags sat across the chair near the window. I took them to the bed and opened them to find they were terribly unorganized. Everything just jammed in there and nothing seemed to make sense. So I emptied them out onto the bed. There was cash and coins of all different denominations scattered everywhere amongst random things. Her hunting knife, a deck of cards, a broken pencil, folded scraps of paper with random notes on them, a ring of keys, spent bullet casings, half a roll of hub wafers, a box of ammo with my old photocard collection in it, a book of gun schematics, dice, a flint, three small jars containing salt, pepper, and cayenne powder, a small horseshoe puzzle, a blue bottle of perfume with the carving of a coyote on the side, two different double-sided coins, one that had both heads and one that had both tails, and a leather wallet with nothing in it. So, I separated out all of the money and took it to my makeup table. I began counting it all out, and in the end, there was $334.57. What's going on? Anna asked me as she re-entered the room. Your saddlebags were a mess. I'm cleaning them out and putting them back together for you. Did you know that you have $334.57 in there? That much? No, I just jam money in there when I get it. It's yours if you want it take it. She smiled at me. Where's it all from? The fight. Celia. Side bets. I was down to my last dollar when I met Celia. She actually pays me pretty well. And she lies about some of the fights. She always takes bets on the side. She cuts me in a little here and there. I don't know what she makes, but she takes care of me. I keep telling her it's not necessary, but she does it anyways. I think it's so I have money should you need something. So, it's all yours if you want it. All the food here is paid for. Ohlone refuses to take money for this room, and I think I would insult her if I tried to give it to her. Pony's food comes from the food all the other horses and cattle are eating, so it's hard to figure out how much she eats compared to how much food it costs altogether. 
In the end, it wouldn't equal out to too much, so they don't charge me for that either. Again, I tried to pay them, but it seemed like I was insulting them, so I stopped. What I have left is there in case you need it. If you need it. Or you just want it. It's yours. She already did it. Everything she was making, with a quiet promise of everything she would make from then on. It was already given to me, and I didn't even know. This must have been what she felt like when she realized I was living with her and she didn't know. She already spent every moment she possibly could with me, giving me all of her free time. Everything she will ever make, and every moment she has to spare. I almost cried. But I I didn't want to explain why I was crying, so I took a deep breath and held it in. I I only need five dollars. I'll... I'll put the rest back in your saddlebags in case you need it. And, you know, you have a wallet. You could put your money in there. I do? I don't remember that. She looked at the bed and rummaged through her things. Oh my god, my horseshoe puzzle. I thought I lost this. She picked it up and with a quick motion of her hand solved the puzzle. Then, just as fast, she put the puzzle back together. I had no idea how she did it, and I was watching. Oh, <laughs> my coins. She smiled sheepishly, picking up the only two coins off the bed that I didn't count because I knew they were fake. I love you. So I am going to be honest with you. I have a set of double-sided coins. The cards are marked and the dice are loaded. So what you're saying is I shouldn't try and play games with you? I am very good at games. She smiled and stepped up to me. Now, did you really need five dollars? No, I just wanted to know what you would do if I asked for it. You can still have it. It's all yours if you want. She said, and then she kissed me. She held me so softly. She pulled back and looked at me. Her eyes were bright and full. Her smile spread across her face. And I saw her memorize every inch of me. She made me feel precious. This girl who wasn't a girl, who wasn't a boy, to her, I was priceless. She looked at me, a prostitute, a girl discarded by her mother and father, left on the street. My only talent? I could sell my body to others. But those people look at me with disgust, distrust, and shame. In the grander scheme of things, I know my place in society. I may dress like a princess at court, but they see me as a rat in the street. Anna looks at me like I was a goddess. How could I not love her? How could I not say yes when she asks me to marry her again? I have never hoped for a future. Prostitutes just don't have futures. We just fade away and disappear. So I have tried not to think about it. I have tried to live only in the present, but now I have hope. I hope she'll ask me again soon. I hope she'll take me home to meet Luke. I hope someday to find a life away from Denver, away from everything I've ever been, so that I can somehow be new. I want to be the person that she sees when she looks at me. I can live knowing I'm worthless to the rest of the world, as long as I'm priceless to her. <sighs> what am I going to tell Naomi? The fight is next Friday. The Whiskey Girl versus the Denver City Boxing Champion. It promises to be a good one. I've asked Lady Venus to give you the day off. I'm sending Cassandra to pick you up. We'll spend the day together. 
It's going to be fun. I can't wait to see you. With love that I now understand. Thalia. This has been Helen of the Iron Horse. Written by Paris Lee. Artwork by Helen Lee. Performed by Helen and Paris. All characters within are fictional and bear no intentional resemblance to anyone living or dead. Except, I guess, for Helen and Paris. See more of our work at edgeoftheworldart.com. If you would like to comment on the show or ask any question, please email us at helenoftheironhorse at gmail.com. The proceeding was made with the love and encouragement of all of our friends at the LA LGBT Center's Trans Lounge. Thank you. Thank you.